Hear the word of the Lord. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Rahab had hidden the two men, but she replied, Yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left town at dusk, and the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had hidden them, taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. <laughs> Whoever said that, that was someone give me a peace be with you enthusiastically. And that's encouraging. It's been a wild week. Uh, this next week, I'm pretty excited about uh, the theme of children and singing is running through our church this next week. And um, it begins with something today. Uh, if you're new to Sojourn or haven't been around much, our church loves music, and we have some unbelievably talented musicians. We think God is an artist who made the world beautiful and wonderful, and so we're constantly trying to provide resources, and one of those is a new record we have of kids' music called Clap Your Hands, Stomp Your Feet, and that's from our Vacation Bible School last year. If you pick this up, uh, there's people from all across Sojourn's four locations on this, but it sounds like New Albany. Uh, most of the songs were written by people from New Albany, Meg singing on it, Kristen, our kids director, singing on it, Pastor Jeremy singing on it, Justin is singing on it. So our musicians, our singers are all over the place with this. It's a ton of fun. I don't know if adults are allowed to listen to kids' music without the kids in the car, but I'm going to say they are. Um, and that's what it's, I don't know, before I had kids or whatever, before I was at Sojourn, I was kind of judgmental of kids' music because it's usually awful. And I think this is really good, actually, really good. Uh, so you can buy it here, a hard copy at the welcome table in our new gallery, I guess. We're, we haven't really decided what we're calling that, uh, but it's functional now, so go enjoy it. You can pick one of these up or you can buy it online. Uh, yeah, it's really good. And then Wednesday, we're going to gather as a church and go Christmas caroling. And I really, really, really hope that you guys come. One, because the songs are easy. And 
Most of you know them already by heart. Two, we've got enough awesome singers in here that if you're really bad at singing, you can just hide in the group, right? Like you can just hide and mouth the words. But, but also, uh, universally across our church, except with maybe one or two exceptions of individuals, at some point, every one of us has felt that anxiety about sharing the gospel with somebody, right? Like, you know you're supposed to talk about Jesus, and most of us feel kind of like sick to our stomach about it. What are they going to say? Am I going to say it right? How is this going to go? All, the, all that kind of stuff. And uh, Christmas is this time of year where you get to knock on people's doors and sing the gospel to them, and they will cry and thank you. Like, not, not only is this a way where we push back the darkness of this neighborhood, but we get to clearly articulate both what is Christmas about and who is Jesus in a way that people are exceedingly grateful for. So that's Wednesday night. We'll meet here at 6.30. We'll go out and sing, and then we'll watch um, a cute Christmas movie in here afterwards. And then next Sunday, perhaps the cutest Sunday of the year, we have our Sojourn Kids Choir. And uh, so I got, I almost had a tomato thrown at me in the first service, the way I I phrase this, so I'm going to do a little bit better this time. Uh, no one goes to like a five-year-old's trumpet recital for the quality of the trumpet playing, right? So this isn't like the Sojourn all-star cast of singers that are coming up on Sunday, but, but what it is for us is one, it's a way that we're helping our kids lead us in, in worship. But then also for us, especially if you don't serve at Sojourn Kids or maybe you're just in one classroom, uh, this, is, this is our, fourth, our four-year-old class and up, and you get a picture of how many children are at our church. There's, there's about 200 kids week in and week out that come here, and that's the next generation of Christians that we're investing in, we're raising up, and pretty soon uh, we're going to unleash them on the schools, on colleges, and jobs as these missionaries of the gospel, this light in a dark place. And it's just beautiful seeing um, practically who the Lord has entrusted to us, the adults here at this church. And then afterwards, we're going to have a pretty killer hot chocolate bar. So... Uh, yeah, lots to look forward to and be excited about. So I hope that y'all can come. And all that's in the back of your bulletin, which I would encourage you to read. Um, and it all, it all fits. This is all coincidence. Sometimes stuff happens here that seems like we planned it, and I, I promise you we didn't. Um, so with, with uh, I'm just thinking about kids and stuff. And um, my family, my wife and I, over the past year, have decided to enroll our children into what's called Disney Prep School. Um, it's a homeschool curriculum where you indoctrinate your children with a love for Disney movies. And don't go Googling Disney prep school because it doesn't actually exist. You know what I'm saying? We just play lots of Disney movies at our house now. And I'm like, we got to buy them so we can watch them over and over and over and over again. And it's like we're doing Aladdin, the, the typicals, you know, like Aladdin, Little Mermaid. But we're also real sophisticated Disney people. So we go back and get Robin Hood. You know that Robin Hood with the fox? And every time that rooster's playing around Nottingham, crying, and it's raining, like, it, it messes me up. And so we're, um, right? Like, so it's been fun and memorable for our family, but it's also been a problem for me uh, because this last year has been pretty difficult. And uh, one of my uh, counselors warned me, like, midsummer, he's like, you're going to be real emotional this year. Like, your, your emotions are going to be right at the surface, and you're going to get sensitive about stuff. And I was like, I'm like, if you know me, you know, it's like, it's a real problem. I'm already pretty emotional, right? And he's like, you're going to be extra sensitive this year. And my wife was like, Lord Jesus, <laughs> give me strength, right? And so here's how this, here's how this plays out. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know how you guys roll with your community group. Uh, at our community group, we rotate who watches the kids each week because we've got like 18 adults and like 400 kids. And so 
we take turns about who's babysitting. And it was our turn to do the babysitting for the kids, which means we go to the basement and just like pray nothing gets broken, right? So it's, it's not the most fun week at community group for us. But the kids are like, let's watch a movie. And we're like, oh, great. And uh, Mulan had just come onto Netflix, or we just realized. And if, if you don't know the story of Mulan, uh, it's a Disney movie where there's this girl who's like, uh, dad has a limp, and they're, the Chinese military gets called up to go fight. And Mulan wants to go fight so her dad doesn't have to. So she cuts off her hair, and she puts on her dad's armor, and she goes out to fight, right? And the whole movie, it's kind of like, Mulan's causing trouble, or she's an outcast, or she's in whatever. And I, I don't want to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it yet, but stuff happens, and by the end, like Mulan has saved the day. And there's this, there's this climactic scene where Mulan is standing in front of the emperor of China, and there's people around that are like, oh, she's going to get it now. Emperor's going to drop the hammer. And instead, he bows down before Mulan, and then they pan out to this huge courtyard, and it's like the whole country of China bows down to Mulan. And all the kids in the basement, like 20 kids, are like clapping and cheering, and I'm over there like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, just like a mess, just blubbering, and, and it, was, it was a mess. And so what's going on there? Like, is that, just, is that just me being emotionally sensitive or having a, a, a tough year? Um, have you ever noticed that there's a tendency in people to keep coming back to the same stories or, or the same kinds of stories? I think like Disney movies, uh, Disney World itself is an, an amazing example. If you ever go to Disney, there's signs in like 137 languages and you ride on the trams and it's like all these different languages are talking to you. And, and what, what's that saying? It's saying it, it doesn't really matter how much money you make. It doesn't really matter what race you are. It doesn't really matter what language you speak or what country you're from. Everybody loves Disney movies. Uh, there, there's something that it stirs in all of us. And if you're too sophisticated for Disney movies or you're like, oh, I'm more into the classics. Like, think about Aesop's fables. They, they've permeated cultures. They're, they're all around the world. These stories that we keep coming back to, speak to something universal, something that's deep in, in the soul of every human being. It's part of the reason that, that Christmas becomes so emotional for us, or there's a, a time where we just seem, things seem to be a little bit closer to the surface, or these feelings of nostalgia, or these intense responses year in and year out. But, but what's interesting about that is uh, the way the Christmas story is set up in the scriptures. So we're, we're in the series where we're looking at the family tree of Jesus, and particularly this oddity that there's all these women labeled in them. And, and watch how this, uh, from Matthew chapter one, how the genealogy starts out. It says, this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah. So it doesn't say once upon a time, right? Or like a long time ago in a Galilee far, far away. Uh, <laughs> Y'all know what's coming this week, right? Yes. Am I right? Yeah? You, let him who has ears to hear, hear. Um, he says, this is a record. Uh, this is history. This is a fact. Uh, this isn't a story. This isn't a fairy tale. Uh, this is real history. And, and then he goes on to include real people. And what's interesting is that these people aren't arbitrary. Like last week we talked about these are the people that God chose to be in their family. This is the family that God wanted. And so in that sense, they're, they're not just facts, right? These names, because every name is a story. 
Every one of these people has a life story behind them, and there's a reason that God incorporates them into his family. And if we press into these names and the stories behind them, we'll, we'll see that in the, in the genealogy of Jesus, the family tree of Jesus, uh, they, they feel very much like a Disney movie. And there's something going on in our souls when we hear them. So last week, we talked about how this family tree of Jesus shows us a, a clear picture of who God is and what he's up to. Um, and if, if you notice, God never reveals himself just for the sake of self-disclosure. He, he reveals himself so that we might know who we are more too and, and be transformed by it. And I think this week with this woman, Rahab, we're, we're going to see how the family tree of Jesus shows us who we are as well and where we're going. And if, if you look at the story of Rahab, maybe not in the, in the details, the explicit, specific circumstances, but in the core of what this story is about, I think you'll see that Rahab's story is our story. Three different ways these first few verses let us know that Rahab is an outsider. Uh, first, she's a gender outsider. And there's, there's no easy way to say this. Like The simplest way to put it is in, is in ancient times, um, women were just not that important. Uh, they couldn't testify in court because who knows if that woman is lying or not. Um, they oftentimes couldn't leave the home. It was almost unheard of for a woman to have a job. And just the fact that she was a woman would have labeled her as an outcast in society. There were places where she couldn't have gone. And if she didn't like her situation in life, there just wasn't much that she could do about it. And what's What's even more difficult about this is she has no vote in that. You know, in the womb, she didn't decide, I'll be a woman or I will be a man. Uh, her biology was set, her chromosomes were set. She had no vote in whether or not she'd be a man or a woman. She had no vote about the time period she'd be born in. She had no say in the culture that she would be born in. And many of us know the pain of being rejected for something out of our control. I mean, just think, have you ever gotten a bad deal in life? Have you ever been treated as less than or as an outsider because of something that you had no control over? Maybe you got teased in school because of who mom and dad was or what, what dad had done or that your dad was in prison or your mom was an alcoholic or whatever. You had these things that you just had no say in and you experienced the pain of being rejected for it. So Rahab first, she's a gender outsider but she's also a racial outsider. Her status as a woman was compounded by the fact that she was seen as other. She was a Canaanite. Where we are in the story of God right now is we're about 40 years after God has used Moses to deliver Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and now Joshua is leading them, and they're trying to make a home for themselves, to find the promised land. And as best I can tell, this is the first time a Canaanite has converted. But even so, there's places that she wouldn't have been allowed to go. She would have been seen as unclean. She would have had to go to a separate room when they went to temple. Uh, and again, she had no vote over whether or not she was a Canaanite. Some of us believe we've moved beyond this, that there aren't, there's no, there's no uh, race problems anymore in the United States, right? Like, it's shocking to me how much we've had to argue about this as a church. Uh, if you look around, most of us have the same skin color. And we're fools to think that's somebody else's problem, right? We're fools to think that there aren't things we do, things we believe, ways we operate that make it very uncomfortable for you to be here if you're not just like us. 
A, a lot of you know the pain of being treated as an outsider, of being looked down upon, of having your access limited, of being treated as less than just because of your race. So she's a gender outsider, she's a racial outsider, and, and finally, she's a moral outsider. Did y'all notice her profession? She's a prostitute. Um, at, at Sojourn, like we've started a ministry that serves women in the sex industry. We've seen lots of prostitutes over the years come to faith. And in conversations, I, I've never heard of a lady that was like, you know, when I was around 17, I could have gone to college, I could have joined the family business. I thought about starting my own web design firm, but I decided to be a prostitute instead. You know, it's, it's never an easy choice, right? It's never like, oh, this just is such this wonderful thing that I want to do. I, I don't know what was going on in, in Rahab's life, but she's, a, she's an outsider because of her gender. She's an outsider because of her race. And now the only way she can provide for herself in this society, she can just go get another job, is, is by giving her body to other people. So she's wanted when people have a use for her. You know, she's an object for other people. And then when that time is over, she's vilified, scorned, looked down on. Like in, in this society, Rahab would have been the lowest of the low, a female Canaanite hooker. Three times over, she's an outcast. And I would imagine she didn't just believe that she wasn't good enough. She had lots of evidence to support that. And I imagine that she heard regularly from other people that she's not good enough. As I think about Rahab this way and what her life must have been like, she, she was a woman looking for a way out. Think of all of these circumstances beyond her control. Do you think she was someone that longed for a better story? She was someone who longed for a life that was more than being held at arm's length, looked down upon, vilified. And, and listen, in that sense, is this not our story as well? Everyone I've ever met has a reason somewhere inside to believe they're not good enough. I have yet to meet someone that didn't have some kind of stigma that they were trying to hide. And every one of us is looking for a way to deal with that. Every one of us is looking for a way out. Every one of us is looking to some kind of more beautiful, more full, more rich, meaningful story. The story of feeling trapped in our shame and longing for, our, for a way out, that is the story of every human being, at least that I have ever known. Rahab's story is our story. So what is this saying about who we are? It's, it's confirming your suspicion that you're an outsider longing for a way out, a, a way to a, a better life. Every one of us perceives some kind of inner circle where it's like, man, if that guy was my friend, or if I was in that room, or that situation, then I would be more than I am. We are outsiders longing for a way to a better story. So it's not hard to imagine Rahab feeling lonely and dirty and afraid much of her life. It seems as if she was preparing or at least hoping for some kind of a fresh start. Because when an opportunity comes, she leaps at it. This is what we get in the beginning of the story, Joshua chapter 2. 
So the spies set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. We don't get a whole lot about that interaction, but I just want you to think about it. Maybe you go to lunch after this or wherever you go after church and you're sitting there and like a, a couple of Chinese spies come in and let you know about this Chinese plot to overthrow the United States and that for whatever reason, they're coming in through New Albany, right? <laughs> Would your first inclination be like, we gotta help these guys out. If this is a foreign power, this is someone that is coming in and, and Rahab leaps at the opportunity. Not, not only does she allow them to stay the night, but we find out a few verses later uh, that she hides them and she lies to the king. Which that's, this is one of the most confusing passages for people who look at the Bible as this like legalistic moral document. Because Rahab is held up as righteous, but she lies to her king about what's going on with these spies. Just like the Hebrew midwives, they're named together. Go spend about five years figuring that out. Why would she agree to help? Why would she leap at this opportunity? Why would she lie to her king? It tells us a few verses later. To the spies, she says, I know the Lord has given you this land. We are all afraid of you. For we've heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. The Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. I think to some degree we have to say Rahab had wrestled with the question, who is God? Or at the very least, what is this all, what is this all about? Rahab's story has already shown us that we're looking for a better story. And, and now she's showing us that a better story does not come from within ourselves. Think of how trapped she felt. I can't do anything about being a woman. I can't do anything about my race. And in my society, I can't do anything about being a prostitute. And like, I would argue if, <laughs> if you still think you have what it takes to make yourself better, if you still think you have it in you to change and transform, uh, you are not paying attention. Are you, are you old enough yet? Are you willing to look at your own life enough yet to realize that you don't have what it takes to change yourself? You ever got to that spot in life where you say, I do the things I don't want to do, and, and I, I don't do the actual things that I want to do, and I've been trying real hard to do that. A, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Travis preached, and I'll be honest with you guys, he's not here, so I can be a little more direct than I was in the last service. This isn't in my notes, I'm just going for it. Like, Travis is the most holy person I know. Um, he's the person that I look at, and I say, I don't know anyone that seems to know Jesus or evidence the fruit of the Spirit like you do, Travis. Um, and in his sermon, we and I were talking about it before, um, during the week, working on it together, and he said, you know, like, I can remember one time um, making a commitment to not be hateful anymore. And Travis is the only person I know that says that. Like, that was so hateful. Uh, but I really like the way he says it. He's like, you know, I've been a, I wasn't a Christian yet, but I made this decision to not be hateful. And I was like, man, if anybody can do that, like, if anybody has the discipline, I bet it's Travis. I bet he made it a couple of years until something really awful happened. And he was like, it was three days until I saw hatefulness rise up in me, which is way better than what I would have done. But, but Travis is probably the best man that I know. And he made it three days. Like, do you know yourself well enough to know that you're not going to fix your situation? You're in every bit of much a situation as Rahab is. 
So she knows enough to know that she can't change her situation on her own. But what's more, she knows enough about God to think that maybe he can be the help from the outside that she's looking for. And, and what does she know? She knows a story about God that was probably 40 or 50 years old at that point. She, she had heard about what happened in the Exodus. Someone had told her a story. Word had spread about what God has done. She doesn't have very robust theology at this point. She just knows some stories about God. But the story that she knows must have given her hope of what God could do for her. She knew the story of God looking at people trapped in slavery and rescuing them. She she knew this was a God who cared about the oppressed, who cared about the margins of society, who who cared about injustice. She knew enough to know that if there's a way out, it will be with this God who saves, with with this God who goes to the outsider and makes them family, with, with this God who goes to the oppressed and brings them justice. So who are we? We're people longing for a better story, longing to be free from both our sin and our suffering. And we are a people who need help from the outside. This is why God chose to be in Rahab's family, to show you what he does with the outsider, to show you what, who you could become, someone who was isolated and trapped and hopeless and become someone who's part of a family and, and set free. But what does this have to do with Christmas in particular and Disney movies, right, that we spent so much time talking about earlier? Um, I've been wrestling with this for a couple of weeks, and I... I hope it makes sense. If not, go to a community group and try to figure it out together. But I really tried hard on this. Um, I think first, uh, Christmas tells us that the stories you love are true. Um, and maybe not in the sense of, uh, like, Peter Pan really exists historically, but that what these stories are communicating is, is true. And so think about what are the stories that stir you? What are the stories that affect you, that you find yourself keep coming back to year after year? Um, and f- so in, in our family, uh, we've had to take a little break from watching Beauty and the Beast because I'm not emotionally stable enough right now to listen to it. Um, and my daughter calls it Booty and the Beast, which I think is hilarious. She's, she's two, okay? So what is that story getting at? Just take a step back and think about Beauty and the Beast for a second. First, it's saying that you are under a spell. Like, think about the beast here. His wickedness, his meanness, his arrogance, his elitism has put him under a spell and twisted him. Um, Physically, emotionally, he's cursed. And what breaks that spell? A pure, selfless love. A love comes to him from the outside and says, I see you in all of your ugliness and I've been hurt by you but I will love you. And and that love transforms the beast. Why do you sob when the beast is transformed at the end? Because at least for me, my soul knows that only love from the outside can transform me back. Only love from the outside can change me and make me beautiful again and whole again. We long 
for this way out into a better story and a better life. And I watch Beauty and the Beast and I say, will anyone ever love me like that? Will anyone ever love me enough to change me and heal me? And then this Christmas story comes to us and says, it's true. Someone does love you this way. And he has come to, to see you in all of your ugliness and all of your brokenness and all the stuff that you try to hide. And they say, I will love you and I will transform you by a love that comes from the outside. Christmas comes and says to whatever story you're, you're touched by or emotional or it stirs something in you and it says the story is true. The longing of Rahab is the longing of Christmas. This isn't a better fairy tale. It's the true story to which all fairy tales point. You are under a spell. Your brokenness, your sin, your meanness, your ugliness has, has twisted you. You're under the spell of sin and death. And I'm, I'm telling you, all of your favorite stories carry echoes of Advent. All of your favorite stories speak to this longing you have for someone to come and love you and change you. These stories keep getting told over and over because our soul longs for a way out. And what's so amazing is, is these stories... They're, they're not just emotional, feel-good stories. Here's what's so stunning about, about Christmas. It, it tells us that your longings are true, the stories are true in their essence, and, and it tells you that this help that's coming from the outside is, is news, it's not advice. It's an announcement. It's not a game plan. It's a declaration. It's not, uh, I don't know, a rule book to follow. It's tempting to look at Rahab's story as this template for how to live better. And like, I do a lot of reading, and a lot of people will turn the story of Rahab into a moralistic story of righteousness. And I'll just point a couple things out to you. Like, we don't get a whole lot of repentance from her. We don't get this announcement. It's like, oh my gosh, I'll not do this again. Uh, and also, she lies to her king, right? Like, what is the advice here? Lie to people in authority and do what you gotta do to make a living. Like, I, I just don't see it. Think about the Christmas story. If we try to come to Jesus being born in a manger as, a, as moral instruction, what is the advice of the Christmas story? Is it like have home births outside? You know, like, what is the lesson here? Listen, Christmas is an announcement. It is not advice. Our sin and our suffering have moved us to try to take the place of God, to be the supreme authority in our life, to say what is or is not. We've, we've moved to try to take the place of God. And Christmas is the announcement that in Christ, God has moved to take your place instead. So he comes to a place. Does it not blow your mind that the king of the universe has no room, that there's no place for the one who made everything? So he goes somewhere where he's cold and alone. He, he comes to take your place. Christmas is the announcement that your help comes from the outside, from the God who rescues the outsider and leads them to a better story. And it is the announcement that it is finished. It, it doesn't come, Jesus doesn't come with a list of instructions demanding this is what you have to do to be set free. He comes to you and he says, if anyone believes in me, they are free. Will you trust me? 
You're free. Advent is a declaration that you are free. It is not advice on how to get free. It's the fact that in Christ, you are ushered into a better story. In Christ, you will be transformed by love. And so finally, what, I, you know, what this story is telling us about where we're going, this place of healing and wholeness and freedom, I think bottom line, what this story is telling us is that Jesus is that thing that we're all longing for. Maybe you feel that pit during Christmas or when that movie comes on or that story you read where you see your Christmas lights at night and, and there's that ache you feel for something more. Advent is telling us that that is Jesus. Rahab sided with God and was rescued by his people and her circumstances changed. But I hope that you've lived long enough to know that better circumstances do not equal a better story. Rahab wasn't longing for just a better life, a better circumstance. She was longing to be a better Rahab, to be someone that belonged, that was worthy of love. And have you, have you ever noticed that your problems seem to follow you regardless of where you live or what you do for a living? Have you ever moved thinking you'll get a fresh start in a new town and lo and behold, your problems showed up there? Have you ever, we've seen this a lot in our church that people hop from church to church to church trying to find the church that does it all right. And you get to this next church and it's like, gosh darn it, these people are messed up too. Have you noticed the way your problems seem to follow you wherever you go? And I, I feel like we try real hard to lovingly gently in like a safe place, tell you, you are one of the biggest problems in your life. Like, you don't just need better circumstance. You need new creation. The, the stories that stir us, the Christmas lights that bring a tear to our eye, all of this is our soul recognizing the still, soft voice of God telling us our help is coming. One of my favorite authors describes it this way. He says, pay attention to the things that bring a tear to your eye or a lump in your throat because they're signs that the holy is drawing near to you. It's a way that God is trying to, to give your longings a voice and show you what you are longing for is me. It's Jesus. It's my son. Come to me. At the birth of God's son, he's saying the stories are all true the longing for love from the outside, the longing to be recognized by a king and saying, you matter, you showed up. The, the longing to have a hero who saves the day, the unexpected person, whatever it is. The stories are true. Jesus is what you're longing for. He is the help that comes from the outside and he doesn't offer a better circumstance. Simply, he offers you a new creation. This baby will grow, and you know the story. This baby will grow, and he'll eventually take your place again. He'll go to the place you deserve at the cross, uh, the place where he will absorb your sin and absorb your shame. He'll become the outsider so that through him, you can go home again. And in coming to Christ, you don't just get new circumstance. You get new creation. So I encourage you this season Pay attention to the ways that the holiness of God is drawing near to you. What is it that stirs your emotions, that puts the lump in your throat? Find the ways that your favorite stories are echoes of Advent and how Jesus offers you the better, the more true, the more beautiful story.
In Christ, you are no longer an outsider. You are no longer bound by your sin and your shame. In Christ, love has come and is remaking you into the truest version of yourself. And so week in and week out, we strive to ground ourselves in the reality that the gospel is an announcement. It's a declaration of what has happened so that we might be empowered and strengthened to believe like it's true. And this is how God calls us to remind ourselves of this, to remember it. He calls us to remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread and broke it and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. This isn't an act. Christ's body doesn't need to be rebroken week in and week out. His body was broken for us 2,000 years ago. This is an announcement that your sins are forgiven, that you have been wiped clean, not based on your efforts, not based on what you've worked on or changed or, or all these promises of improvement you have. You are forgiven and made clean because Christ's body was broken for you. After the meal, Jesus took a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood that is shed for you, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. So look at the two movements he's doing here. On the one hand, like your sin and your pain have been wiped away. They've been forgiven. You've been made clean. Rahab could have just been forgiven of her prostitution. Your sins could just be forgiven. God takes it a step further, though. You're not just forgiven. You're brought into my family. And what keeps you safe there? What secures your identity? It's the blood of Christ shed for you. Do you feel the sweet freedom of that? It's not how well you're doing with your Advent family devotions. It's not how well your kids behave. It's, it's not how well you're doing on your Bible reading or all these things that just rob us of the joy of being free children in Christ. It's the blood of Christ shed for you. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, one of the big things that you can learn from the story of Rahab is that she knew enough to make her decision about God. I understand that trying to decide who God is and what he's about and whether or not you should follow him, I understand that's a big decision, perhaps the biggest decision you'll ever make in your life. But too many of us walk around, and the married couples know what I'm talking about here, but you know the young couple that's been dating for like seven years and they're saying like, well, we're just trying to figure out if we're the right one. We're just trying to figure out and then maybe they like, start living with one another. And when you talk to couples that are living together and not married, they almost always say, we're just trying to figure out if this will work or not. And all the married couples know you will never know enough to know if this person is the right fit, right? Because I've been married for seven years, and darn it, if my wife isn't different now than she was seven years ago. And thanks be to God, I think I'm a little different now. And you people who've been married 30 years, you're, you're, you're different people. You, you can never know enough but there's a few really important things that you got to know before you make that decision. What did Rahab knew? She knew that the God of the universe, the supreme Lord of heaven and earth, is a God who cares about the oppressed. He's a God who cares about the outsider, and he comes and he rescues them. So I know you have questions about Jesus and the Bible, uh, but I would look to the, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. This is what God is like. Is that enough for you to believe in him? And I would encourage you to not wait. Uh, your God loves you and pursues you. If you are a, a Christian, bring your longings home, bring your unrest, your anxiety, and come experience God's love for you again. Uh, our tradition at Sojourn is to rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice. Uh, wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it. We'll have stations up front and in the back, and there'll be a gluten-free station by the Christmas tree here. I'll pray for us, and then I invite the Christians to come and enjoy communion as you're ready. Let's pray.